century. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing coming to you worldwide from Megaware Keelguard Studios. Here we go. Boo, boo, boo. Another episode of Bass Edge Radio, Aaron. Episode number 360 right here on September 15th. Still right here in South Texas, Aaron, carrying over from our last episode. Still not quite fall yet, but uh, right. we're waiting for it to arrive. Well, uh, true. The only thing that gives the resemblance of fall is uh, football is being played. So I guess that is uh, one of the saving grace for all the football fans that are out there. And, you know, Kurt, I must mention, as always, Megaware Keelguard, long-term sponsors, long-term partners. Now's the kind of the time of year, right, of ordering boats. And, and I know some of the supply chains are a little strained right now, but when it comes <laughs> I would say adding, heavily strange, yeah. right? When it comes to adding accessories, it seems like uh, MegaWare Keel Guard is in great shape concerning the Keel Protector, the Flex Step, Battery Guard, uh, all of those great products that they have put out there for personal watercraft boats. Make sure to visit them at KeelGuard.com. You bet, Aaron. I got to throw this in here. We got to talk a little bit about an event you've got coming up very shortly. I think you're leaving next week or the yeah. event's next yeah. week, actually. And, yeah. and uh, so you'll be leaving just a few days. Super Tournament, Lake of the Ozarks, final MLF BFL event for you this year. Sitting in good position, you know, right in the in the 30 range. And uh, you got to hold your ground and get into that regional, uh, which isn't far from your house either over there at Lake Norfolk. But let's talk bass fishing strategy. What do you see going down right now, mid-September, getting into that later? Y'all, y'all have had a little bit cooler weather than we've had here in South Texas. So what are you thinking? Yeah, so obviously Lake of the Ozarks full of docks. I will be concentrating on uh, certain docks that have a hard bottom. Okay, so that that is done or accomplished, I guess, by a lot of Google Maps uh, down through the years. A lot of just, uh, you know, I do have quite a bit of familiarity on that body of water. I do really like that body of water. I can promise you I will have a jig uh, in my hand. And, uh, you know, I'm not looking for a lot of bites that time of year, Kurt. As we know, September can be, it can be pretty tough. But normally the ones that you're catching in the docks that I'll be focusing on, I'll be looking for the big gizzard shad, right? Because that's where the bigger bass are going to be eating those bigger shad. I will definitely be having a top water in my hand from a buzz bait to try and skip those behind those uh, cables on the docks, as well as a whopper plopper, you know, things like that. But the jig, those two things, and then also be mixing in a little bit of potentially because sometimes you can catch uh, the, those fish out deeper. There's a lot of submerged brush, right, that dock owners and anglers uh, fish. So sometimes I'll be, if, if the sun hasn't really, uh, I guess, positioned them on the docks yet, then I'll be maybe fishing out a little bit deeper but time will tell but i can tell you those are going to be my strategies and my strategy is you know i really want to make that cut on that final day and then go for the win i i do like fishing like the ozarks this time of year yeah yeah so lots going on there a lot of great options and because it's this transitional time of year both can play got some great look at you know how some fall fishing goes down with a toyota series they had there in the last couple of years they had a couple really big events there and all the Big events provide great media exposure, you know, really kind of understand more of how some of these fisheries go down from my perspective, because, you know, obviously I don't know like the Ozarks that well, but, uh, you know, can read about it and kind of understand what about the river aspect, Aaron? I know that it can be a long run up the river versus main lake. Does current play a role 
in Lake of the Ozarks. And, you know, you get that fall migratory shad movement. I'm not sure, you know, how that's going to be, you know, working, obviously, as the tournament starts here in just a week. But what's your thought process on how to move throughout the lake and working those migration patterns? Yeah, current uh, does play a role. The river is is certainly an area that um, draws a lot of anglers to it, and rightfully so because of what you're talking about. Remember the way the Lake of the Ozarks is set up. You have Truman that drains into kind of all off the Osage River. So you have Truman that's a flood control. Lake of the Ozarks is an Ameren power lake uh, that does not fluctuate nearly as much is per se like a Corps of Engineers lake, but that current generation, Lake of the Ozarks is a massive, massive body of water. And so you get up there and and you will find very quickly of where those fish will be holding. Are they going to be in the very backs of the pockets? Uh, believe it or not, that time of year, you can see some that are in the very back end, right? Mm, in that yep. shallow, shallow water. But all, everything of what we talk all the time and you hear the pros like yourself, the good guys talk about, you've got to let the bait tell you where the fish are because you find the bait. And at that time of year, as you know, you can pull into a cove and there's just acres of bait, but I'm looking for that specific gizzard shad. So I will be checking some on the rivers, but also I do like to get a little bit away from the competition. So it wouldn't surprise me if I'm not spending some of my practice time down closer to the dam. Right. Less pressure. Well, Hey, look, it's going to be fun to watch, man. Wishing you the best of luck making that region. I know you already made your reservation over there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I did. That's, you know, that's great, man. Uh, that's that's part of that mental attitude, though, right? You, you know, you're confident, you know, looking forward to making that regional and having a great event here at Lake the Ozarks. And well, if, if not, Kurt, I figured I could VRBO at my reservation and make some money on that way to another angler. So. <laughs> that's funny. We can all check this out. Let's follow Aaron's progress. MLFfishing.com. Aaron, great luck to you over there in that event. But y'all stay tuned. We've got a protecttheharvest.com tackle tip right here with Bass Edge Radio. This episode is protecttheharvest.com tackle tip with Bass Fishing Hall of Famer, Danny Brower. I think one of the things that confuses a lot of anglers is what rod and reel do you use? And is it worth all that money to buy the high-end stuff or can you get by with a lower-priced rod and reel? And I look at my situation, obviously I'm with loose fishing so i've got a lot of choices i've got a lot of decisions to make when i go to pick out what rods and reels i want to go with and what are the advantages uh, first uh, you know look at the money you have to spend a lot of this stuff is very very expensive but it's like anything you really get what you pay for and if you fish a bunch like i do you want the best you can possibly get so i go with the top end i go with the loose pro ti rods and the reels they are expensive but what are the advantages more casting distance with the reels they're smoother man if a fish breaks way out there i don't have an issue reaching that fish the rods they're lighter they're more sensitive you can fish longer without the arm fatigue so you've got a lot of advantages uh, but all grades of rods and reels that they put out on the market right now are very satisfactory so look at your budget let that make the final decision for you some of this mid-grade stuff is is excellent now if i was an angler that just had to pick out one rod and reel man i would certainly get the highest end you could possibly get i'd go with that pro ti you would not regret it great tip denny thanks for spreading the knowledge brought to you by protecttheharvest.com 
first by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Live Well, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Kurt, even though, you know, we keep talking about the heat and obviously that's just the time of the year that we're in, but I'm sitting here staring at my uh, painting, Feeding Frenzy of beautiful giant smallmouth, and it makes me think about what is to come and uh, the fall fishing that's going into a feeding frenzy, right? And of course, I'm talking about the artwork from Wild Wings. Yeah, man. You know what's cool about this whole Wild Wings thing is we've got a spot out there on the internet with Wild Wings. That, that's probably the coolest thing. It's like both of us showing our artwork. Mine's tight to cover. It's got a beautiful large mouth. It's actually a super cool deal, man. It's got, you know, a morning dawn Texas rig worm and um, love looking at it, especially when I'm not out on the water. It keeps me thinking about being on the water. No doubt. Unlike your fans only page, uh, Bass Edge Nation can actually <laughs> save money on our spot on the website. You know, I heard that fans only is going clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I heard that. Yep. I think they're going clean. So. I have more use for it now even than before, right? Yeah, it's going to cut into your income significantly, but <laughs> hey, you know, so we digress. Well, hey, look, talking about income, check out Wild Wings. You can save a few bucks, 10% discount on any Wild Wings art. They got a lot of great outdoor art, so make sure you go check it out. While, if you just Google Wild Wings Bass Edge, it'll actually hit you right on to the landing page where you'll see Aaron's beautiful mugshot with his uh, feeding frenzy photo. And um, you'll see my mugshot there as well. But uh, great place to go in, check out uh, great art collections for your office, home. Uh, they've got everything, Aaron, as you know, bed, bath, dining, kitchen, apparel, all kinds of stuff. So be sure to check it out. Google up wildwings.com or just wildwings bass edge. Hit you on that 10% off landing page. Yeah, Kurt, some Aaron, other exciting news. Um, I don't know if uh, if you remember, but, uh, you know, we, we've been talking about all the supply chains and, and kind of how that may impact the may or may not impact the fishing industry. But uh, one thing I'm excited about, got to order the new Nitro Z21, the new model that's coming out. So very, very excited to get my hands on that. You know, one cool thing about the Nitros that I'm always jealous about. I mean, I, I love my Ranger. It's great boat. It holds 50 gallons of gas. Dude. 
nitro i think it's 65 68 gallons i mean did you fill that thing up you go fishing like three four five times without ever hitting the gas station that's right that's right and you know the uh, other thing with with the new design and the new uh, lid apparatus the storage is kind of improved but also pretty excited because they seem to be doing fairly decent with uh, their delivery status you know it's still going to take a little bit longer because they're at the mercy of engines and, and the other components but it at least sounds like it's not going to be nearly as long as what I was preparing for. So appreciate that as well. Yeah, a lot of other companies out there struggling on delivery times. Uh, White River Marine Group, Nitro specifically, not having as many of those issues. So uh, the used boat market, out of control, Aaron. Oh my gosh, uh, oh my gosh. I mean, you're paying basically any used boat, one-year-old boat, about 70K, low 70s. Just the premium out there is is more than ever. And when you get that new boat, because a lot of other boat manufacturers struggle, Aaron, you're going to be in a great spot because you're going to get your nitro probably sooner than anybody ever would get a boat that's ordering from another manufacturer, any White River boat for that matter, and um, just puts you in a great spot. The buying power of Bass Pro, Johnny Morris, the whole White River system is uh, pretty significant. It holds a lot of clout in the industry. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, certainly there are other manufacturers and vendors are going to cater to, you know, volumes of business. And, and going kind of back to that used boat market, it just interestingly, I got it's funny you bring that up. Just last night, I got a call from a friend that they were setting in a cove, right, for a little uh, team derby, and, and it was a father and son, and they were talking about, hey, we need to get home and get this uh, boat cleaned up so that we can get ready to sell it. You know, pre-takeoff, nothing else to talk about sitting there in the pitch black dark. Well, <laughs> another boat happens to hear him said, hey, are you selling that boat? And I'm like, yeah, well, how much do you want for it? And uh, I said, well, we were going to list it for this. And he's like, sold. And I mean, you know, it, uh, it it's just insane, <laughs> like what you were talking about. But that's good, I guess, good for the industry. And uh, hopefully that continues to put more people on the water. Yeah, absolutely. If there's nothing else that this whole uh, getting ready to come up on 24 months has done for the fishing industry is create more participation, more demand for outdoors enthusiasts and just more people in general moving into the outdoor segment. So uh, it's it's great being with Hayabusa, like many other industry companies. I mean, just record sales over the last, you know, 18, 24 months. So uh, it's just great wealth and um prosper prosper yeah Yeah. and speaking of moving uh where are we moving to next kurt we are moving into a lucas oil angler spotlight we got another angler of the year yeah you think well we just did an episode with the bass master elite series angler of the year 15 days ago well now doing another one but it's with a different angler of the year y'all stay tuned to find out who and what and how we're doing that bass edge radio we'll be right back in a moment I am BASS Elite Series Angler Matt Airy. This is Bassmaster Elite Series Pro Bill Lowen. This is BASS Elite Series Angler KJ Queen. This is BASS Elite Series Pro Jake Whitaker. I am Pro Angler Brett Hype. Stay tuned for more Bass Edge Radio. know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything else other than the original and toughest diy keel protector for your boat megaware keel guard grinding sand abrasive rocks and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology megaware keel guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour providing the longest lasting most dependable keel protection for your boat guaranteed for life 
developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Aaron, as always, stoked to have another extremely successful angler on another episode in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. You know, Alabama is known to be a hot spot for professional fishing. Um, not just a state with a lot of great fisheries, but a state with a lot of exceptional bass fishermen. This angler has been providing, improving this over and over again. I mean, he's on the A-list. We look forward to this. Welcome to the show, BASS Elite Series Rookie of the Year, Josh Strasner. Thanks for hanging with today, Josh. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Well, Josh, you stepped into the 2021 Elite Series with a rookie class that, you know, if, if there was such a thing in bass fishing, it's kind of the, the MIT class of bass fishermen. You got lots of attention <laughs> before the, the, the season even started. You know, curious to know, can you elaborate a little bit, just kind of your expectations as you were heading into the season and how you felt kind of once you hoisted that Rookie of the Year trophy over your head? Yeah, you know, as far as expectations, I, I really didn't know what to expect, to be honest. I kind of knew a couple of guys that fished elite, Scott Canterbury, uh, Matt Hare, and they kind of live here locally. I've known them for a while. So I kind of talked to them a little bit, you know, about what to expect. And so I, I just kind of went with it. I guess I didn't think about it a whole lot, you know, until we when we showed up down at St. John's River. That's when it kind of hit me what I was doing, you know. Uh, <laughs> right. It's like, I, <laughs> I'm, about to, I'm about to fish the elite series and pretty much don't have a job. This is going to be my job for a for the next little while you know <laughs> so it, it was a lot to take in but uh throughout the year you know it was a, there really was a lot of ups and downs i had a couple of you know really bad tournaments and uh, a couple of pretty decent ones and in the end uh you know i wasn't even thinking about the rookie of the year deal i just wanted to make the classic that was go number one from the beginning of the season and just getting that rookie of the year at the very last tournament was just a bonus really definitely icing on the cake right there it was interesting to watch that final event you had uh, three of you kind of in that potential position to take the rookie of the year trophy and man things just lined up for you and you did your job basically you know the some of the other anglers struggled a little bit and just going through those last couple of events man you were able to hoist that trophy it was great to see you know josh diving into where you came from and looking at your past 2020 was a hugely successful year for you right you qualify for both mm -hmm. the elite series and the mlf pro circuit toyota event there on Ufala, you took the w the open division and toyota division respectively two tough divisions no matter where you're at because you're fishing against you know all the great locals we we hear that all the time but you know bigger fields all that kind of great stuff what went into the process of you preparing to do well in those AAA events in order to pave your way to competing at the national level? You know, it had a lot to do with just timing. I had been fishing good last couple, two, three years prior to last year. So let me expound on that real quick. When Josh says he's been fishing good, Aaron, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Josh won the Bama BFL, the full AOI in 2018 and 2019. So I wouldn't say fishing well, Josh, maybe you've been fishing exceptionally well for the last several years, right? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty impressive. It's been pretty good. impressive. Last few years have been real good. I've been fortunate. I couldn't just put my finger on or tell you exactly, you know, why. I think probably the biggest factor in that is the last two or three years I've been fishing more than I ever have. Every weekend, 
every Saturday, every Sunday, didn't miss anything. I just fished every tournament I could get in. And I think, you know, just staying in the tournament as much as you can, you just get a different mindset the more you fish. And, you know, I was like, I, I fished the Opens four, five, six years ago and uh, didn't right. do any good, you know. And I knew, I knew I wasn't ready then. So after doing getting the BFLs, I was like, I'm going to try the Opens just one more time, you know, just see how it goes. And I wound up getting in, the, in Toyotas too and, so I think just having the confidence coming off a couple of real good years fishing locally. And, um, of course, I had a little money in my pocket, so I wasn't uh, just spending everything I had just trying to, you know, trying to fish them. I learned that the first time I fished the Opens. If you're fishing them, just trying to worry about getting a check, you know, you're probably not a good idea for you <laughs> to be out there. So last year fishing them, I fished them a little bit more confident. It just ended up right. It's, it's perfect timing, really. So did you feel like from a strategic level, did you put in maybe more practice? Did you just know the lakes a little bit better from you know your past year's experiences or did you target fish differently or is there some strength that you were able to put in that just kind of rolled throughout those couple years including this year with your rookie of the year can you pinpoint that or you think it was just more of a mental state i think it was almost 100 percent mental because i'm pretty sure the last year in the opens all four opens you know I had four in that division right i'm pretty sure i hadn't been to any of the lakes i'm trying to remember but, uh, you know, they were all in strange lakes. I remember you did really good at Cherokee, which isn't a whole lot like many Alabama lakes other than maybe Smith. But uh, where you're yeah, from, kind of down like in it. there in that Birmingham area, it's not a whole lot similar to much of what you're fishing down there. No, that, that was a, that was like going to Mars for me. I say that. It's kind of ironic. You know, they got some of the rock up there that you see on, on the shoreline but some yeah. some guys call it alien, alien rock right. anyway it was, you know it was a small mouth thing or at least i i turned it into a small mouth tournament for myself so that that was 100 percent new and I, I went up there you know i'd get off work on a friday and i'd pretty much already had my bags and everything packed i think i went up there twice spent the weekend before the tournament started and just rode the lake you know looked at pretty much every inch of it and uh just it, it was mental you know, and like I said, just having a lot of confidence is so big in this sport. I, didn't, I really didn't realize it. I've heard guys talk about it like Kevin Van Dam and some of these real big name guys talking about how the, the mental side of fishing is, is so huge. You hear Rick Clunn talk about it all the time, and uh, it's real. It's, you get anglers get on runs, you know, mentally, and uh, everything just goes right. And when everything goes wrong, you know, it's almost like you don't know what to do you're out there lost every day it's, it's real funny how the fishing world works like that yeah yeah i've been i've been on that train lately <laughs> this was the worst <laughs> my worst season ever i've been doing this since 2006 and this year i mean just a total catastrophe and uh, you're right it's like you know the more you look for the answer the farther away you know you get from understanding what the heck's going on because you're looking for something that's not out there it's it's internal you you know, so I completely agree. It's great, well, and, great and process. Kurt, of course, you know this, and Josh. Interestingly, you cannot imagine in the 360 episodes now that we have done, of how many times the mental, you know, psychological component comes up from anglers like yourself. And of course, that's why Dr. Jay McNamara, you know, wrote a whole book that we have on Bass Edge, and we've sold tons and tons of copies called "The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing," and kind of outlining just when you get in that zone, and and when that mental shift is made right because it's all about making decisions both on and off the water which is kind of what I would like to dive a little deeper into with you on you know you have obviously traveling at the national level is much different than than running kind of the the local regional
regional scene. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts there, but also, you know, certainly that's required adjustments along the way. Like you talked about, you cannot have your mind be thinking about money and making a check to make it to the next tournament. So obviously you made some decisions there. But then finally, you know, do you pre-practice? Do you like to go to a body of water before practice even starts for familiarity or do you just go in blind? Can you walk us through kind of those decisions and how you attacked being able to remain competitive and ultimately finish, you know, rookie of the year? Because you only have one chance to hoist a rookie of the year trophy. You can't say that about a Bassmasters Classic or (laughs) Angler of the Year. Um, So obviously you did something right. Yeah, you know, as far as swapping over to, you know, just fishing for a living, uh, as you know, not having a job and your sole income is is fishing. You got to, at least I, you know, I kind of told myself starting out with that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to just focus on the fishing and not worry about trying to get that $10,000 check at the end of every tournament. You know, it, of course, it was still always on the back of my mind when I was at the whatever lead event I was at, but I try not to let it get to me, you know. As far as just traveling everywhere, it's it's a lot different. There's just so much more things you have to worry about and think about other than fishing when you come to this level. You, little things, stuff like trying to book hotel rooms, figuring out where you're going to stay for a week, how to approach a strange lake, like went to the St. John's River. I think it said it's over 100 miles long. And, yeah, that's a big one. You know, you have, you, there's no way, or all these lakes pretty much we went to, there's no way you look at the whole lake in three days. So you kind of got to just do every bit of research that you can on past events and watch videos and look at the time of year. And I try to pick out three areas for every lake we went to and so the three days of practice the first two days i would go to two different areas and you know if i didn't like either one of them i would go to the third but hopefully i'd go back after two days and say all right i'm just going i'm gonna go back to this area that i was in today or the areas in yesterday and just look at it even more so uh every lake was different i did try to go i, I think i did i pre-practiced not cherokee fort loudon i did go up there i went to pickwick i think that was it What's your strategy you know, on the pre-practice? Do you do you fish a lot in your pre-practice, or you just kind of look no. around? You hear some guys, you know, they're just leaving the rods in the rod box and they're just cruising the lake, taking a peek at what kind of covers of electronics or next stuff. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's really all I've done. Uh, I mean, really, just riding and and figuring, just seeing what the lake looks like. You know, figuring ways to get in different areas. You know, safely. You know, a lot of these lakes we went to that if you're not familiar with them and, and, and uh, not paying attention, you could, you know, get hurt or tear your boat up or whatever. So just kind of feeling my way around and very little fishing, very little fishing, mostly scanning, looking at my electronics, looking just for visual stuff. You know, this year is we really never did hit a true, you know, offshore ledge fishing or really any kind of offshore until we got up north so i just felt like all year it was all just bank stuff you know so <laughs> pretty much just looking at the bank and seeing where you want to go but every lake was different and uh pre-practicing helped some i think it did hurt some too i've heard people talk about that over the years that since we can i think it's 30 days off limits we have to go 30 days ahead of time so what fishing you do is probably going to be a waste of time so it's pretty much just riding around and looking Josh, I noticed a small gap in your, you know, you, you kind of mentioned this earlier that you fished the opens. I guess it was the early 2000, like 2010, 11, 9, you know, kind of through that stretch. Then you had a kind of a gap, you know, where you didn't even fish a lot of BFLs and stuff in that section of maybe 2012 through 2016. Like to just kind of, you know, bring to light how timing can affect an angler's competitiveness. Ultimately, obviously, you found the right timing uh, since 2018, you know, to really make, you know, a lot of noise in the bass fishing competitive world and so what was the deal with that 
time away? Were you just kind of fishing on your own, doing your own thing, not really just competing as much? And what made you decide to kind of move back into the scene from the BFLs and then ultimately the AAA events and then, you know, into the Elite Series? A lot of that gap you're talking about, a lot of that was uh, I, I work construction for a living, uh, I always have. And uh, I think during that time of, of my life, I was traveling a lot, working. I was uh, living, having to live out of town pretty much for work. Gotcha. It just made it so hard to fish, you know. At, at that time, we were working a lot of Saturdays, and even when we wasn't, I just having to have them travel in on Friday nights, you know, getting back in town. And I just, I kind of lost interest in it, you know, didn't have the time for it. I, I, you know, I still fish, but it was, it was really concentrated just on a couple of lakes, just fishing local team tournaments. So I kind of, kind of give up or slow down on the BFL stuff there for a while, but it's mainly, mainly to do with work. Gotcha. Still kind of honing your craft though. It's not that you totally set it down or did you kind of really step away a little bit? I think I stepped away a little bit. I think there for a couple of years, I felt like I was kind of getting burnt out. I guess it wasn't as, quite as fun as it was there for a while. But, you know, it only took, you know, a year or two after I really slowed down. I, I started getting the itch, you know, again. I was like, I, I want to start getting back in these BFLs. And I, and I think at that time, I, I was kind of staying close to home for work. So they will spend more time on the water. That's kind of how it went down. I think that's one thing that a lot of people or a lot of anglers that, uh, you know, fish recreationally or fish tournaments, it affects them, but they don't know it affects them. And what that effect is, is success out on the water. Um, You know, if you're catching them, you want to go back and catch more. If you're not catching them that great, all of a sudden there might be something else that comes along in life that you decide to put more attention to. And, you know, you hear all the time about professional anglers and guys like yourself that, you know, have dove all in, you know, obviously the last four years you've been head over heels for it and really putting in time, work and effort. But the success is what kind of continues your drive, I feel like, for anglers. The hardest thing is when you're not having success, but then kind of staying involved, trying to overcome those valleys. And that can be one of the most difficult things to do because it's not like you've, you know, Josh has decided to go fish for a living. You know, if he has some struggles, he can't just be like, ah, okay, I'm going to go do something else. Like, dude, you're invested, right? I mean, that, like you say, you had some tough events this year, but pulled through them. How do you deal with those valleys? And do you feel like that's the same kind of situation that you see that I'm referring to? I think so. You know, you got to learn how to deal with the failures. You hear people talk about success breeds confidence, you know, and it's all true. Uh, when you're doing good, you have two or three good tournaments in a row or, or a good year. It's real easy to just stay, you know, you want to go every weekend. You feel like you stay on top of things without even trying, you know. But when it comes down, to you start having two or three bad tournaments. I had a couple of bad tournaments this year, and uh, I kind of felt myself slipping mentally. There was even a time or two where I thought, like, hey, you know, I'm, if I'm really cut out to, to be out here with these guys or not, you know. And I think over the years, just getting a little older, I feel like I can work through those thoughts a little better than I did 10 years ago. So just, I guess it's kind of hard to explain, but just being able to work through the hard times and not let it affect you is bad. And, and, and it all just boils down to confidence, you know. Right. It's not easy to describe, not easy to duplicate either. But uh, y'all, yeah, stay- so that's, I'm trying to explain things like that. It's hard to explain. Uh, Absolutely agree. Well, we're going to get into some fishing tips. A little bit easier to explain. Y'all hang tight. We're going to power pole down <laughs> for a quick break. We're going to be right back with more from BASS Elite Series Rookie of the Year, Josh Strasner. Hang tight. We'll be back in a moment. 
Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge is presented in part by ProtectTheHarvest.com. Returning with BASS Elite Series angler Josh Straysner in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. Be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all Lucas products. It works. Josh, let's uh, dial into some late summer fishing tips, as Kurt alluded to just a second ago. Here we are, you know, middle, uh, heading into late September in the south. It's still a, a late summer with a slow transition into fall, and this can be a tricky time of year. You know, everybody always says, uh, if you think August is tough, wait around for September because it gets worse. So, you know, fish leaving uh, kind of the deeper brush as, as bait fish can scatter throughout the water column. You know, you got, you've got the stratification of the oxygen, potential fall turnover coming uh, within that water column yet have not made kind of that full commitment to the shallows how do you attack this time of year to have success yeah this it really is a weird time of year there's kind of some weird techniques that, that happens this time of year uh, of course i like fishing deep but you know this time of year like you just mentioned that the deep bite kind of goes away uh, maybe like on the tennessee river kind of lakes where you have a lot of heavy current you can still catch some deep but predominantly overall yeah, everything kind of moves back up shallow and uh for whatever reason there's a little deal goes on around here that when the water gets super hot this time of year low oxygen some of those fish go back just dirt shallow, you know, less than a foot deep, and uh, you can start catching a few again. It's not real fast and furious. It's, it's actually really random, but you can catch some really big fish doing it, you know, five or six pounder in a in a tournament that, you know, 13 or 14 pounds wins. But it seems like this time of year, those fish come from just sometimes just dirt shallow kind of deals. And, and you also, you still catch fish out of brush, but it's shallow brush, you know, brush around docks, brush out in front of a dock or brush up on a uh, shallow river flat. So those two deals, and you also got the schooling factor. Uh, this time of year, they'll usually fish just now starting to group up and starting to school out on the river in the mouth of creeks and pockets out on the river. Those are the three things that I kind of key in on this time of year. Josh, really intriguing on the shallow water deal. I see that also at Lake Amistad. So I think it happens all throughout the country. Those fish sometimes can get spooky. I feel like they're there to eat, but at the same time, you know, long casts seem to be prevalent, you know, to target those fish. What do you see as the best way to target those super shallow fish during this kind of mid, late September time frame? I'm always throwing some kind of top water, whether it's a, a frog, a buzz bait, or just a walking kind of bait. Usually I, I'll try to fish that some of that real dirt shallow stuff, like right at daylight. Seems like for that first 30 minutes or an hour, just like it is uh, any other time of year. There's a little bite window then. Then it seems like it uh, it doesn't really get kicked back up going until in the middle of the day. I'll go back to uh, some of that just super, super dirt shallow stuff and start throwing a frog, you know. Uh, that's probably my number one bait that for this time of year fishing like that, just throwing a frog. Uh, maybe the buzz bait in the mornings, but definitely the frog later in the day. Is and the frog, is that a like hollow that. body or a swimming frog, Josh? Hollow body. And uh, that's, you know, if there's some vegetation, it's pretty much just open, like just big shallow flats. There's really not a whole lot of cover. I, I use like throwing like some kind of walking bait, a, a vixen or, you know, spooker or something. Good stuff. No matter what it seems this time of year, the bite 
flight's generally slower. Obviously, spring is where it's at. Later in the fall, when you really start getting some cool downs in the south, you know, for a guy like Aaron, that might be about this time of year, you know, when that weather really starts, you know, start getting that water temp to dip and, and you really get that larger shad migration moving into the creeks and, and more fish moving shallower in groups rather than singles, as, you know, it seems like you're discussing here. But it's a slower bite. When you're practicing for an event, just out recreationally fishing, you know, maybe just for fun weekend day. Mentally and strategically, how do you prepare for events that you know are going to be tough? It's going to be a slow bite. You're really going to have to stay focused when you know that fishing is tough. But strategically, do you do anything different to prepare to have success when you know bites are few and far between? You know, not really. You just got to tell yourself, or I tell myself, leading it going into the tournament or the tournament morning, that you just got to tell yourself that you're not going to get a ton of bites, you know. But if you get the confidence that you're going to catch that super shallow dude like we were talking about, if you do it enough all day, it's usually good for like one big bite. And this time of year, the winning weights are so low, it pretty much boils down to whoever catches the big fish of the tournament usually wins the tournament. So to just having that mindset that you, you really just looking for one big fish and to me that's the way to do it is fishing that real dirt shallow stuff this time of year and just knowing that you you know at any time of the day even the last hour or last couple hours of the tournament you only need one bite you know that's what i look for during a tournament this time of year is one big bite and just fishing i actually kind of fish slow in places i usually try to get in one area whether it's a creek or just one stretch of river and i'll actually fish slow especially with a frog i'll fish that real shallow stuff i like throwing it up there and letting it sit a lot of times especially around you're around any kind of lily pads or grass mats this time of year it seems like they just want something sitting almost like early springtime it's kind of weird well josh let's chat quickly about uh you know something that's kind of I guess thrown out there is the home lake jinx and and I don't want to you know pour salt on a wound or bring up a bad moment but a definite tough tournament this year for you was on a very familiar lake and that being Neely Henry you know I'm hoping we can kind of make this a a great educational experience for others you've had terrific success on Lake Neely Henry in the past hindsight being 2020 can you elaborate on what happened there as I'm, I'm sure you expected right a good finish but it turned out into kind of one of your worst yeah it wound up being the worst and uh, that's another thing that's gonna be hard to explain you know going into that tournament uh even though i live about an hour from from neely i really don't fish it a whole lot i usually go up there like once a year we'll have like uh when i fish the bfls every year we'd go to neely once a year and that's the only I know, time i, I, know, I didn't notice that's why i kind of wanted to ask this question is because yeah <laughs> you know, we wanted to put this one on the list when aaron and i were going through everything like man he's had some you know not not necessarily tournament wins that i saw but i mean a lot of top 20s and bfls in there in alabama you're talking about guys that are dedicated you know just like you are you know they're out there trying to kick your butt every weekend and and then i saw that you know this tough event and i was like aaron and i wanted to dive into this so (laughs) i i want to go in there and say to we're not trying to pour salt into a wound but hoping that you can kind of elaborate on that process i appreciate you diving into this question yeah, the biggest thing with that tournament, you know, I know the lake pretty good, one end the other. I'm, like I said, I'm definitely not a local, but uh, that tournament, I don't know if you remember, we had a bunch of rain, and uh, during practice, uh, I think the last, I think it was the last day or maybe the, the second day of practice, we got like six inches of rain. Yes. And the water come up like four feet. 
in 24 hours. I know that last day of practice, it was flooded seriously. Like, it was way up in the woods. I remember they considered kind of pushing back the first day or two of the tournament because logs were rolling down the river and all kinds of craziness. Yeah, they. Uh, I can't remember if they postponed it, uh, backed it up for a day or not. Or not. I can't really remember, but I know that there was whole there was docks, whole docks floating down the lake. You know, hundred foot tall trees <laughs> coming down the lake. It was a mess. Uh, I've ne- never seen Neely Henry get like that. I've heard about it, but I've uh, just never been there when it happens. And I'd never been to Neely Henry when it was flooded at all. So it was like fishing a brand new lake. So the first day of the tournament, I just caught them flipping in some areas that I've always fished. You know, they were just further up on the bank. But the second day, I think the water had dropped overnight about a foot. And for whatever reason, I had a little area that I was starting in that I thought I could catch 10 or 12 fans in. Right. So I went there that first day, and that's what I'd done. Caught them pretty quick and left. So I went there the second day, and like the first bite I had, I lost it. I fished around, I don't know, 10, 15 more minutes and had another bite. And hooked it and it's like a two and a half three pounder and lost it so that kind of threw my head off a little bit you know losing two fish right off the bat and then and to be honest after that i couldn't hardly get a bite i think i got two more bites the rest of the day and i actually started running around fishing some new stuff and i just never could get on them i knew where some areas were that everybody else was fishing there's there's a couple stretches of bank that man they were just boats lined up on Right. from from daylight to weigh in and i just couldn't make myself get around those i, I always try to stay away from the crowds and away from the people and you know it's, again it's hard to put my finger on exactly what happened that second day but i just somehow i didn't follow what was happening on, on the lake with the fish and the water uh at the time i thought i was but looking back on it i've definitely done things different i tried to fish the same little area too much i didn't start jumping around or, or kind of abandoning what i had found until too late in the second day by that time it was like i said it was just too late didn't have time to go around and find another group of fish yeah it's always interesting to um talk about some of our struggles throughout whatever it is that we're involved when and it's interesting to try to pinpoint how we would have done something different like you said it was a huge environmental change in that lake compared to what anybody was used to for the most part but you take guys like matt heron and canterbury who you mentioned earlier in the in the show they've got a lot of experience out there on neely henry and neither of them had great events either so it seemed tough for a lot of the kind of local guys and i guess just openness of thought process and and maybe just bouncing around a little bit more because when like you mentioned you know that there's a an area of the lake that that uh, you've had success in the past and you try to make that work, especially after you catch 10, 11 pounds day one, you know, like who wouldn't think there's some more there to catch, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, so. that was just a weird deal. That, that's a weird tournament. That's like I said, it's brand new conditions. And at the time I thought I was doing the right thing. And that's a hard thing to do is trying to recognize when you need to abandon something or when you need to change something up while you're out there on the water. Of course, you know, the day after the tournament, you can always think of things that you could have done. But just making those mental changes out there on the water, uh, if you could ever figure out how to do that confidently every day on the water, man, you'd make a million bucks for sure. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Josh, great part of the show, you know, especially after all the discussion that we've been having about mental and, and everything that uh, went on this past year with some great fishing tips as well for uh, fall fishing. But the listener question segment, folks, send these in through our social media, website, all that kind of great stuff. And um, we're going to toss two of them at you today. This segment is brought to us by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. And Willie Ward asks this question through our Bass Edge Instagram account. What is the best way 
to catch fish after heavy rains and thunderstorms in the late summer? Uh, that's a good one. It really depends on what kind of lake you're on. Some of these lakes have really good runoff, you know, in the, in the, whether it's in the back of a pocket or a culvert or a, anything like that. If you can get around any kind of moving water, that's the key to doing that. And then you've also got a deal that kind of goes on on some of the lakes that I live on that as a power plant lakes. After these rains, usually this time of year, they're not running much current at all. So if we get a day or two with pretty good rain and a couple heavy thunderstorms, they'll, they'll run just a little bit more water. So that, those are the two things I kind of look for. Either fishing up closer to a dam if you have one. If not, I kind of go towards the back of a creek where I might get just a little bit of runoff from the recent storms. Do you feel like through that process, there's any bait selections that you could toss, Willie, that might be, you know, working, that you find more effective post a heavy rain or thunderstorm as far as bait selection? Yeah, usually a swim jig. If I'm fishing real shallow, uh, if I do find some water coming in into the lake, wherever it is, uh, usually a swim jig. And usually, you know, it's where the, the, the shad will find those areas too real quick. I don't know how they do it, but you'll go into an area the week before or even just a couple of days prior to a big storm and not really see much bait or anything going on but you get a, a couple of good thunderstorms move through the area and it seems like the bait just shows up uh, i guess it just goes that top six or eight ten inches of water off and they'll find that little bit of current wherever it is uh shadow find and of course the bass will be there with them but usually a swim jig is probably my go-to bait for this time of year fishing All that right. way Good stuff. Okay, the next question came through our website, uh, BassEdge.com, and it was from Jaron Brindley. Jaron's out of Ohio. He says, I recently joined a bass club that fishes a derby at a different local lake each month. I'm not familiar with the majority of these bodies of water. Can you explain, like I'm five years old, how to practice for a new lake? What should a day of practice look like? I'm tired of getting my butt kicked, he says. <laughs> That's another tough one. Uh, I can go a lot of different ways. The best thing I can tell you is the lakes that you're not familiar with, don't try to run around. It being a club tournament, you're only, it's only going to be a one-day tournament. So don't try to run around. Stay close. You can stay close just to the boat ramp that you're taken out of because usually there's, you know, a lot of tournaments go out of there. So there's a population of fish right there close. So stay close and something like that. I'll try to narrow it down to no more than four rods out of my deck during the tournament day. And I'll take whatever the four best confidence I've got and I'll, I'll just stick with those stay close to the boat ramp and uh, just pay attention to what's going on you know if you uh, see fish cooling out behind you or, or anything just be real vigilant of what's going on and uh, just don't run around a bunch. Josh I love that feedback because I, and feel free to chime in here but you know I know Jaron jokes about explaining like he's five years old but you almost want to think of it like you are five years old and I can remember you know Kurt and I talked about riding our bikes and taking a two-piece pole and a handful of tackle to go to the river and you know fish for whatever would bite and that's almost literally you know kind of being in a bass club as you're learning that's what you want to do you know stay close to the boat ramp grab a handful of baits that covers the different areas of the water column and really dissect that area out because chances are you're probably going to get a bite and once you get that bite then you can start building on that would you agree 100 just pay attention and, and and just simplify things as much as you can i actually did that this year on the elite i tried to simplify every everywhere we went i, I didn't have especially come tournament day i don't think i ever had more than about five rods out of my deck and most of the time i could have probably could have got away with two so just simplifying that would also simplify everything in your head what's going on thoughts and and uh so that kind of shows on the water too is uh you just fish a little bit more confidently and you keep the 
same baits in the water and you don't start scrambling around that's just kind of the way i go about it i'll throw in there too just keeping it fundamental you know just think mm-hmm. before you get to the lake what are the seasonal patterns you know take a stab at where you think they're going to be from a behavioral standpoint and um, then adjust based on what you see conditionally in the water just like josh was saying keep it simple and that should lead you to that first bite and then hopefully two three four five six and and on <laughs> that's right you're just not going to get many bites this time of year so if you spend a lot of time trying to experiment with different baits in different areas you, you might have done missed the window that you, that you were going to catch two or three fish on during that time so just keeping it real simple is a, is a big key uh, great stuff josh i appreciate you actually tackling two questions on this episode uh, kind of got uh, some overtime out of you and certainly i know that our listeners appreciate it as well willie and jaron we need you to do one more thing and that is to simply log on to bassedge.com click the claim your prize tab fill out the information let us know that you heard josh answer your questions right here on episode 360 and we will get the bass edge gifts sent directly to you and listeners out there keep firing in those questions the show getting a lot more feedback on that instagram account we appreciate that keep shooting in those questions either through the eig facebook or on the website bassedge.com simply click the ask the pros tab your question could be heard on the show and we're going to send you a great little gift well josh we certainly appreciated spending uh, time with you thanks for carving out time and getting to know you a little bit better before we close the segment down any final thoughts for bass edge nation man i just appreciate you having me on and uh i'm gonna keep tuning in and uh it's real very informational and y'all guys do a really good job hey josh man i appreciate it. congrats on all your success this year man it was great to see awesome getting to know you you know a little bit better here through bass edge radio and thanks for being a part of it best of luck in 2022 and everybody stay tuned for more right after this short break we're going to close down bass edge radio episode 360 y'all hang on you know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything else other than the original and toughest diy keel protector for your boat megaware keel guard Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare KeelGuard, SkegGuard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare KeelGuard. The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole. Power where you need it. Power how you need it. Power when you need it. Be at home with nature with nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings at wildwings.com. Explore art prints and canvas wraps of bass, trout, walleye, muskie, and more by acclaimed artists like Mark Sassino. I primarily paint underwater scenes of game fish and usually in a fishing situation, going after prey or going after a lure or a fly. I get asked sometimes whether I like fishing better or artwork. It would be tough to give either of them up. I can't 
can't really think of a good reason to give either up, so I'm going to stick with them. Make your home, office, or cabin show off your passion for angling. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge and sign up for an exclusive offer to Bass Edge listeners of 10% off your next order. Give something special to your loved one and be at home with nature. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge. That's wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge to get 10% off your next order of nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings. Hurt, ironically, we opened the show, you know, talking about uh, where I'm heading here in the next couple days, and, and that is on Lake of the Ozarks and, and, you know, potentially the shallow bite, not so much perhaps a deep bite, but it might still be there. Josh's conversation really resonated with me and uh, kind of just reemphasized, okay, I'm thinking along the right terms of, of what I'm going to head into. What's your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Let's throw out some bullet points on, on that conversation with the fishing tips for hitting the water right now. And um, bullet point number one, big bite's going to be important. Josh feeling like, and, and I do as well, I see it on Lake Amistad all the time super shallow man these fish get crazy crazy shallow if you think oh there's no way a fish could be back there there's probably one back there like literally that's when you know there's one back one there. yeah, when, yeah. You, when you see all this shallow water and you think ah i'm gonna turn my trolling motor around or i'm kicking up dirt or that's where you need to make that extra long cast into that area the secondary thing which we kind of breezed over a little bit in the interview was the talk about the, you know, he mentioned brush piles around docks and kind of that, what I would consider that transition from deep to shallow. Where are those stopping points? You mentioned that as well, Aaron, you know, and what your thought process was for Lake of the Ozarks. And Josh reiterated that, you know, dock fishing, finding those subtle pieces of cover between the deep and shallow, right? You know, whether it's a laydown log, you know, that comes off a steep bank before it runs back into a flat pocket or, you know, some brush, you know, some isolated brush on the corner of a dock or underneath a dock, or it could be a patch of grass that, you know, is in some transition zone that, you know, a fish or two will hang on. What we do notice, Aaron, is that it doesn't seem anywhere you're going to catch a lot of fish over and over making the same targeted cast unless it's schooling bass, right? Schooling bass, you're going to see those where you can, you know, maybe catch four, five, six fish, you know, in an area or by sticking to a cove or a pocket because the bait has moved back in there and maybe, you know, started to ball up into the middle or something of that nature. But everywhere else, it's kind of going to be a onesie here, onesie there, move you know to a different maybe a bite fish three pockets in a row no bites <laughs> and then you know or three docks in a row no bites and then also boom you get another bite so it's going to be one of those deals where you're just putting your head down fishing as hard as possible and looking for those super shallow bites and i like josh's point of real shallow early 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 and then real shallow kind of more midday and Absolutely. then maybe hitting those isolated pieces in between Yes, yeah, yeah. Essentially, you know, you're looking for those uh, rest areas along uh, the I-35 corridor, Dallas to Amistad, right, where uh, somebody's going to stop off on a piece of grass or a piece of brush. And then also, even Denny brought it up. You know, Denny Brower, the last episode when he was talking about sometimes they will stack up on those main lake points if current is being drawn, but uh, once they shut that down, then those fish scatter. So, regardless, great interview. Appreciate uh, you yeah, organizing. Yeah, Josh on the show. Yeah, yeah for sure. And uh, in the meantime, everybody, stay on top of all things bass 
Edge through all of our social media and certainly through BassEdge.com. Don't forget the BassEdge.com store. Uh, many, many things going on there. Keep sending in those questions. But uh, in the meantime, Kurt and I, well, we will be on hiatus until our next episode, which will be October 1st. And we will be talking about more heading into uh, the fall fishing. We appreciate uh, everybody tuning us in right here on Bass Edge Radio. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. Have a great week, everybody. The Edge is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Transport Graphics.